Thank you, worship team. Don't you just love this church? I just love this church. I feel like, I just love the church. I feel like I've grown up in the church. I mean, literally grown up in the church. Maybe some of you, like me, could say that. I mean, every weekend, I can't really remember a weekend I haven't been in church. There might be one, but I can't remember one. I don't say that out of pride. I'm just kind of telling you my story here. I can't remember a weekend. I have a memory of sitting in the back of a minivan on vacation as we drove around on Sunday morning looking for the church we were going to go to that day. I mean, a lot of our vacations were revolved around going to visit a church, maybe a friend who planted one or just a church we were excited about. We wanted to see what was going on. This carried over into adulthood. Lauren and I do that. Even on our honeymoon, we woke up and went to church. I mean, also my parents, they took me to a lot of Christian concerts. We went and saw people like Stephen Curtis Chapman and Al Denson. And my dad took me to see Audio Adrenaline like 18 times. And he probably wouldn't want me to tell you this, but Pastor Kelly can mosh, okay? (laughs) Someone asked me, what's mosh? What's mosh? And I was like, I look it up. I don't want to demonstrate or try to communicate that. But <laughs> I really cherish all this because I got to see a lot of different churches and church methods and structures. And I've heard thousands of sermons. But I remember the first time I was in a church kind of like this one. And my parents took me out to Saddleback Church. And their service started up. And the worship leader there, a guy by the name of Rick Muchow started leading worship, and it was so different than anything I had ever seen. I mean, it was, it was amazing. I mean, I knew about, like, hymnals, and you stand there, and, and I love hymns, and I even just read a hymn in my quiet time. I love it when we sing them here, but there's, I just kind of knew about the stale environment where someone would say, turn to hymn 185 and, and sing the first, second, and fourth stanzas. What's wrong with the third verse? Sing the third, that's good stuff. Sing the third, if you're going to sing it, sing the third verse. But Rick Muchow, he was just getting after it, going for it. And it was the first time I saw a worship leader in the church who looked like they wanted to be there. It was the first time I saw a worship team. I mean, yeah, I saw professional musicians come in. And yeah, they wanted to be there. But they were trying to get me to buy a CD and a t-shirt. I mean, this guy was serving in the local church. And there was no other place he'd rather be. That was it. I just remember that feeling. In those moments, Christianity became meaningful to me. It was like I was experiencing a new reality. Yeah, everything else was awesome, but it's like a jigsaw puzzle. I had all the pieces into place except for a couple of these pieces. And it was like in that moment, those pieces were put into place and I realized that if you don't have something life-giving going on inside of you, if you don't have something that's renewing you, something refreshing going inside of you, Christianity is a lot of work and it's really frustrating and you obey not because you enjoy what's going on or you like the results or you're excited about heaven, you obey because you fear the consequences You just don't want to burn. I mean, have you ever been in environments where the same topic is going on, but in one environment you desire to do it, and in the other one you just don't? And families are going to be a great example of this. Generally, as families, 
generally speaking, we all have the same goals. We want to be unified. We want to live in harmony. We want our kids to be educated. Have you never noticed in, in some families, it's a delight. It's a joy. It's working. And in other families, it's a lot of work. And it's a struggle just all the time to get those values and to reach those goals. You know, you probably experienced this in school. Two teachers can have the same textbook, the same budget, all the same types of things. Though, one group of people, one one teacher, they love to go to that class. Another teacher, they dread it. They do anything they can to get out of it. What was the difference? It wasn't information. It was the culture. It was the environment. You know, in one subject, it was enjoyable. The other subject, you couldn't even tolerate it. What's the difference? I mean, there's something about the motivation that was different. And I think there's a constant tension in us between the internal transformation that can take place versus using external forces to control our behavior. Because we all struggle with sin. There's things that we want to do or things that we do inadvertently. While our society has external constraints they put on us. You know, there's police officers out there. There's fines. There's jails. There's punishments to keep us in line. But if there are only external constraints, it's not good. We want to have the love of virtue inside of us. that makes it where we just want to naturally keep the law. The love of virtue. Pastor just did a series on virtue. And my question is, How do we get it to where those virtues aren't external things pressing in on us, but internal things coming out of us? That's the gospel. Problem is, a lot of people don't see the gospel that way. They see the gospel as right and wrong. They see it as a bunch of do's and don'ts. And if you do more do's than don'ts, you're okay with God. God's happy with you. The question to consider with this new series is, How do we make it to where following Christ, how do we make it to where being a Christian is actually enjoyable? Could we get there? Where it's actually a delight. How do we make it to where honor, purity, loyalty, integrity, gratitude, worship, giving, serving, praying, all those things are a delight. How do we get to that place? Now, the Bible, the gospel, is all about the internal transformation that happens in us. It takes place in a person. Something happens on the inside that begins to alter for the good behavior on the outside. Religion or or legalism is the very opposite of that. Legalism, legalistic religion, is using something external to control my behavior. And I, I think it's human nature for us to even somewhat like to be controlled. You know, instead of believing in a principle, we like to be regulated. So we have signs on the highway that'll tell us how to drive on the way home and how fast to go, but not too many people obey them, so we learn where all the hideouts are and we slow down in those places. And Christianity kind of has become like that for us. You know, we want to act a certain way, but we do it for the wrong reasons. That's why the goal of a parent isn't just to change behavior but to change the heart. No parent wants their kids just to do the right thing because they fear the consequences. You want them to do the right thing because they want to do the right thing. It's no different with our Heavenly Father. The gospel is about the transformation of the person. 
And when it happens, you can have external expectations, but you want to do them. In other words, legalism says, do the right thing. The gospel says, get full of God and become the right thing. It's so different. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, we find the second story in the Bible. The first story is the story of creation, and the second revolves around a choice. And the question with this choice is, what are you going to do to be godly? What are you going to do to become godly? And there are two choices. The first choice is the knowledge of good things and bad things in order to become godly. Or you can choose life to become godly. So God put these two choices for Adam and Eve in the form of two trees. Look at Genesis 2.9 with me. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the garden, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And more than picturing in your mind two trees, you really need to picture two choices. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Because if you buy into that worldview, if you buy into that way to become godly, it'll destroy you. You will find Christianity and the process of becoming godly extremely frustrating. It will destroy you. Continuing on in chapter 3, Satan comes along, obviously wanting them destroyed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat, from, eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Look what Satan says here. He says, You will not certainly die. Serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. Notice that Satan didn't tempt them necessarily to sin. He didn't say, here, here, lie, become a liar, become an adulteress, become, get drunk. He actually appealed to her godliness. He tempted her with good things, with becoming more godly, with religion. He actually tempted her The trick was to get her to buy into the wrong worldview. He says, if you buy into this way, you'll become more like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And the term ate it doesn't just mean that they put something in their mouth and chewed it and swallowed it. They ingested it. They made a choice. They bought into this. They changed their worldview. And I think a lot of people have bought into the wrong worldview. You know, I mean, and not just Buddhists or Muslims, even a lot of Christians have bought in to the wrong worldview. You know, their worldview is coming from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as opposed to the tree of life. Well, how do you know if you're living in the right tree? You know, how do you know if you're making the right choice? And they have, well, they have symptoms. Okay, they have characteristics. These two choices. And these characteristics are best revealed when you mess up. You know what 
what economy you're living in, what choice you've made based on what happens when you sin or when people around you sin. How do you respond? When Adam and Eve did something they shouldn't have, write this in, there was victimization. They started to blame others. God came to Eve. He says, why did you do that? Well, is that snake? He asked Adam, well, why did you do that? It was a woman. When we do something wrong, it's somebody else's fault. Another characteristic is shame. They went and covered themselves up. They sewed fig leaves together, covered themselves up. They were always naked. They just didn't know it. But once they bought into this idea that there are good things and bad things and knowledge of good and evil, they thought, I must be messed up here. I need to hide myself because I'm a messed up person. And if you live in this tree or with this worldview, your church experience, no matter what we do, no matter what we preach, no matter what song we sing, no matter what small group you're, you're in, you're not going to hear, oh, my life can be better. You're just going to hear, you're just going to feel shame, and you're going to hear, oh, man, never measure up. And you're just going to hear about how horrible your life is and how all the things you know, that you've done wrong and how you're someone who can't measure up to the standard of the Bible. No, there, there's, there's no condemnation in Jesus. You know, you, we have conviction from God. Condemnation is not from God. Conviction says, here's how your life could be. God gives you a picture of what your life could be and says, let's work on it together. Condemnation says, this is always who you are. You're always going to be this way no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try. This is really who you are. That's condemnation. You know, the tree of life represented what the Garden of Eden was really all about. So the characteristics of the Garden of Eden or the characteristics of the economy of God are innocence. Your mind is clear. Your heart is pure. You think the best about people, not the worst. Have you ever noticed how cute the innocence of a child is? I mean, it's just cute. I, I was hearing a parent tell a story on their kid that one time their kid was in the bathtub taking a bath, and uh, he heard the ice cream truck coming out or going down the street, heard it through the window. So the kid jumps out of the tub and runs out to go meet the ice cream truck. Now, that's cute. What if I told you I did that? <laughs> you know, we expect more out of someone who knows more. <laughs> Sorry to put that image in everybody's. <laughs> we, expect someone, we expect more out of someone who knows more. But check this out. Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. What? What's he saying? He's saying that there's a bunch of us that the deeper we get into Christianity, the more our faces shrivel up. And the grumpier we get, and we start to debate doctrine, and we look at someone and say, you got to get your act together. I mean, there's an epidemic rising up in America today of people who have stopped going to church. And there are lots of studies out there showing us why, and, and kind of depending on what study you subscribe to, um, like there's different ones at the number one spot. But they all kind of have the same number one, two, three. But the, the number one reasons people have stopped going to church 
is they say church is boring. Another one is the people are mean. So the number one reason people, millions and millions and millions and millions of Americans won't go to church today is because of us. Because the church is boring and mean or hypocritical. I've always wondered, why are there so many people in the church, the church at large, why are there so many people that are mean? Why are there so many mean people in the church? Have you ever wondered that? Well, I've kind of got my theory. It's just a Ryland thing. If you don't like it, you can dump it. This is just kind of my theory of why there are so many mean people in the church. Because they want to sin and they can't. (laughs) And they're grumpy about it. (laughs) Dwight L. Moody said it this way. Some people have just enough religion to be miserable. Are you saved? Yeah. (laughs) If religion and church and Christianity has become constricting or constrictive to you, you can't help but be that way. But if it becomes who you are, you love it. You can't get enough of it. I mean, you want to tell, it's like when you go to a really great restaurant. You want to tell everybody, oh, get the chocolate bag. You got to go get the chocolate bag. Just skip dinner and get the bag. They pour this chocolate and then they fill it with mousse and then they put all this fruit in there and the chocolate's so thick they give you a steak knife. I mean, we've all heard that. That's what Christianity should be like. People love it. They want to tell people about it. They want to be a part of it. Coupled with this is freedom. You're able to relax. You're able to enjoy. In Christianity, you can be yourself. Real freedom is found in Christ and it's found in Christianity. And fools believe that Christianity is constrictive. They look at Christianity's values and virtues and they think, well, I want to be free. I want to do whatever I want. I should be able to do what I want. I should be able to go where I want to go, drink what I want to drink, should be able to have sex with whomever I want. I want to be free. So they step out and they do as they please. But guess what? It only leads to bondage. Because they end up alcoholics, addicted to a drug, you know, battling depression. They end up in prison. Well, how free are you now? You know, maybe it's not that severe. Maybe they just wind up with the mediocre, mundane, fruitless life that most people on planet earth are experiencing. No, no, no. True freedom is found in Christianity. It's found in Christ. Now, all of that, all of this is an introduction to a a study in Galatians that we're going to do for this series. Paul planted a church in the city of Galatia where we find modern-day Turkey. And Galatia was an unchurched area, so when they got saved, they got really good and saved. And they were excited about it, and they were excited about following Christ, and they were living in freedom. But Paul left to go plant some more churches. That's what an apostle does. The apostle Paul, an apostle goes and plants churches. And in the meantime, while he's away, a group of religious folks from Jerusalem came to make sure the church in Galatia was doing it right. And they started introducing to this young, vibrant, new church plant legalistic religious rules. They would say, yeah, you're a Christian, but you aren't doing it right. They say, well, what do you mean? 
Well, when you get saved, I mean, it's, you follow Jesus, yeah, but you also get circumcised. And they started introducing Jewish rules and customs. And unfortunately, the church started to buy into it. And they switched from God's environment, the tree of life, to an environment where it was all about good and evil, trying to please God through doing good things and not doing bad things and weighing good and bad. So Paul hears about this and is not too thrilled. So he writes a letter, an epistle. That's what an epistle is. It's a letter. Galatians 1.6. He writes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Another gospel. Many people have bought into the wrong gospel. It's a different gospel. It's another gospel. It's close, but it's the wrong one. It's really no gospel at all, he says. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And Paul gets a little hot under the collar here. And it upsets me too when people try to pervert the gospel of Christ because the facts are Jesus came into this world. He lived a perfectly innocent life. Though he was innocent, though he was sinless, though he was perfect, he sacrificed himself. He was crucified, put to death, and rose from the grave. Those are the facts of the gospel. They are to be received and embraced by faith. And until a man preaches that, he hasn't preached or proclaimed the gospel. And Paul goes on to write that people will try to pervert it. They'll try to contradict it. They'll try to add things to it. He says you can't, can't add to that. He says even if, even if an angel were to come to you and try to add to what we told you or contradict what we told you, don't believe it. And we see that today. We see religions and communities and different cults that have risen up. And they say, yeah, Christianity, that's a good starting point. Yeah, all that stuff's great. Bible's great. That's just a starting point, though. And they had a vision or an angel came to them and wanted to add this or that. It's not true. It's not true. Galatians 1.10, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, my definition of, of legalistic religion is this. It's man's attempt to please God through the expectations others have of me. It's, it's man's attempt to please God by doing what someone else told you to do, not what God told you to do. If you do that, you've eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it'll destroy you. I, you can't get to God by keeping rules. So we need to be able to tell the difference here between these two Gospels that, that look so close. I mean, they can even look like the same tree. People are just kind of swinging back and forth, and they don't know where to land. Well, how do you know? How do you know? How do you tell the difference? Well, number one, legalism. Religion is spelled do. Write that in. Legalism says you need to do more. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you know you don't witness enough? You don't pray enough. You don't read enough. You don't study enough. You don't serve enough. You don't love enough. That's all of us. Do we really need me to stand up here and remind everybody of what they don't do enough? Ryland, why don't you guys at Rockbrook over there, why don't you preach on sin more? Well, <laughs> 
we pretty much got sin covered over here. We've got sin covered. We know we're sinners. Yes, you have to come to God knowing you are a sinner. You have to come to God confessing, realizing, knowing you're depraved. You are sinful. But I don't need to remind you that you're a sinner, remind you of your sin, because legalism's all about do more. Christianity is spelled done. No, it's, it's certainly not a license to sin. It doesn't mean you don't need to be loyal, pure, grateful, person of integrity, honorable. The question is, what is the motivation for doing it? I'm going to look at this verse in John, and what we want to do in this series, and what I really try to do every time I preach, is use the Bible to interpret the Bible. You know, a lot of people will just take one verse, one passage, and set up their whole doctrine on that. But you really need to let the Bible interpret itself. And we're also going to have these sermons interpret sermons. So you can't leave here today, oh, that's all they've got to say about that. You need to come back and, and, and let this be interpreted and, and let us work in this, in this book. So what is our motivation? John 5, Jesus says, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. He's saying, he's basically saying there are Bible scholars that won't make it because they've missed the point. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So the ultimate goal of Christianity isn't to know the Bible more. It's to experience the Bible more. Just like parenting, it's not about making them behave. It's about somehow getting to their heart and getting to the point where they just want to do the right thing. They desire right. Number two, religion is man's attempt to reach God. People caught in this world, do you think that God is inherently unhappy with them? And they have to do things to have a right standing with him. They think Christianity is hard, but Christianity is God's attempt to reach man. Some of you have never heard what I'm about to tell you, and that is why I love preaching. Some of you think that you have to get your act together before you can come to God. But no, you, you can't get your act together until you come to God. God knows about, think about this, God knows about your sin and your life better than anybody. He still loves you, still likes you, still wants you. God's running after you. He's coming looking for you. After Adam and Eve sinned, God went looking for them. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? I, I recently, you know, maybe, maybe many of you know this verse, and I'm just going to read this verse out of Isaiah 55. And this isn't a trick or anything like that, but if you've ever heard this verse, I just want you to raise your hand. Maybe this verse or a translation of it. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Who's heard that? A lot of us. I used to pull that verse out like a card. I had that in my back pocket ready to go. If I didn't understand something about God, or there was a lot of questions we didn't understand, was, well, you know, my, his thoughts are nothing like our thoughts. His ways are, are beyond anything we could imagine. And I think that applies, and it works there, that's okay. But I recently came across the, the context of that verse and read the verse before it. 
and was pretty surprised. It says, verse 7, Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. He will forgive generously. That's why his ways are nothing like ours. His thoughts are nothing like... He's saying, God's saying, you struggle with forgiveness. I don't. You struggle with bitterness. I don't. You hold wicked against the wicked. I don't have that problem. I don't think like that. That's not my ways. They don't come close to that. God is looking for you. Adam, where are you? Ryland, where are you? This is why we are an evangelical church. We are on mission because God forgave. God has forgiven people generously, and we want everybody to know about it. Look at this verse with me in Romans 5. Read this out loud, please. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Read it again. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God came after you. He's on mission to reach you. Number three, religion focuses on the external. Christianity focuses on the internal. Christianity is all about the internal. I want to close with this, this story. About 30 years ago, there was a, a Chicago apartment building that had caught on fire, and it was the middle of the night, and uh, it was going up. It was bad, uh, to the point where firemen were just trying to control the burn. They couldn't put it out. They were just trying to tame it, basically. And there was a police line around the building, and a woman comes busting through the police line saying that her baby is still in there. So a fireman comes over to find out what's going on and what happened is she had left the apartment building, left her kid, left her child with the kid, the baby with the kids. So the kids evacuated in the fire and didn't bring the baby with them. So a fireman's getting his coat on and getting all his gear together and he's like, okay, what apartment, what room? And she tells him how many flights of stairs He'd have to go up, and, and what hallway, and what apartment, and what room. And, and he takes off running into a burning building. And it's so smoky that he's just blindly feeling his way into this apartment building. And he goes on the right stairs, and the right hallway, and, and feels the numbers on the door. And kicks down the door, and goes in, goes in the room, and it's so smoke-filled that he just sees the legs of a crib. So he runs over grabs the baby, puts the baby in his coat, and makes a mad dash out of there, feeling his way out, running down the stairs, and exiting the building. And as soon as he exits, the apartment complex just crumbles behind him, just collapses. True story. I, Hollywood couldn't have staged it any better, and everybody sees this bundle underneath his coat, and they just erupt, and the mom is over there at the police line holding her arms out for her baby, and the fireman walks over and opens up his coat, and he had grabbed the doll. It had the hair, it had clothes, it was the right size, 
It was perfect on the outside. Nothing on the inside. How many of us are just trying to go through the right religious hoops, even doing courageous things, touch the right religious stepping stones, perfect on the outside, absolutely nothing on the inside? It won't count. Christianity is about the internal. It knows that the truth about a person happens on the inside. Look at this verse in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Christianity is about the internal. It's about the internal transformation. Living in the tree of life, with life, in relationship with God. Let me pray for you. Well, today, God's law is not discredited, it's not despised, it's not disregarded. It's majesty, perfection, it's demands, fullness, the law's purpose, they're all maintained Though it is those very qualities that make it impossible for us to go that route, to get to God. That's why Galatians 1.4 says that Jesus gave his life for our sins. He gave himself. There's nothing you and I could add to the value of that sacrifice. He gave everything. His power, his position, his very life. He fulfilled the demands of that law. And the Apostle Paul was able to say, Jesus Christ is my Savior. There are many people here today that are able to say that. They can say, Jesus Christ is my Savior. Can you say that? Is He your Savior? Is He your shepherd? Is He your God? God, I pray for every person in this room to know you and love you more. Help them to know you and love you like never before. May they have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep your love is. May they experience your love and then be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from you and you alone. It is through Jesus we pray. Amen.